The New Jersey Devils and Prudential Center, in partnership with Investors Bank and RWJ Barnabas Health, have launched the Donate a Plate, a virtual fundraiser benefiting Newark Working Kitchens. The initiative's beneficiary enlists local restaurants to deliver nutritious meals to vulnerable populations across Newark. Fans are encouraged to donate meals with the top fundraisers receiving a premium seating experience at a future Devils home game. You can donate now at NewJerseyDevils.com slash donate a plate. Hello and welcome into a special edition of the Speak of the Devils podcast. I'm your host, Catherine Bogart. Earlier this week, Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment, the group that owns the New Jersey Devils, announced their plans to fight for social justice, not only within the organization, but in the local community that the Devils play in. To discuss this topic, we are bringing in two experts on growing the game and diversity for the National Hockey League. First, let's bring in Kim Davis. She's the Executive Vice President of Social Impact, Growth Initiatives, and Legislative Affairs for the NHL. Kim, welcome on to Speak of the Devils. Thank you, Catherine. Happy to be here. And we also are bringing in a name that many Devils fans might know, Jeff Scott. He is now with the NHL as the Vice President of Community Development and Growth. He previously was a Vice President for the Devils in Community as well. Jeff, welcome in. Thank you, Catherine. Great to see you again. Thanks for having me. It's great to see you both. And thank you for taking the time today to discuss this big announcement that HBSC had earlier this week announcing an action plan not only externally in the communities which they play, but also internally to fight for social justice and fight against systemic racism that we've seen, not only in sports, but also in the community as a whole. Kim, I would love to start with you. When you see an NHL team like the Devils have such a big announcement of an external plan to help support their communities and grow to their best potential, what statement does that make to the rest of the teams in the league and to the NHL itself? Well, it makes a huge statement broadly, as you said, to the league, but I think much more specifically to the clubs, that social impact is completely tied to our business. It speaks to our current fans, but as importantly, it speaks to our fans in waiting. Uh, And I think when we talk about the ability for us to grow our sport, particularly in markets like New Jersey, where we know that demographics have already shifted. Uh, It really sends a loud message that we're open for business to everyone and we are a welcoming sport and that we see the future as being representative of everyone. And investing in the Newark community, investing in the Northern New Jersey community and bringing about positive change. Kim, how do you feel that that will grow the game in attendance and more fans of the Devils in return? We know that a commitment to building strong and vibrant communities is a commitment to growing our fan base and growing our business. And so I think the commitment and the investment that Uh, the organization has made demonstrates that they understand the connection between civic engagement, community relationships, and the growth of the sport and fandom. Uh, And so I think the question becomes, how do we make sure that this message is amplified so that every corner of every community hears it and sees themselves as part of building the future of, uh, of the organization? Jeff, you worked a lot with the Newark community in your role with the Devils. 
How do you see these action points, specifically the money going into black businesses, going into supporting health and education in Newark? How do you see these action points actually promoting real change in Newark? You know, that, that's a great question, you know, and, and I think, first of all, when you think about the demographic of New Jersey, right, understanding that I believe it's 60% white, 40% minority, right? And then, of course, when you think about the demographics of Newark, which I believe are 50, around 50% uh, Black, African-American, you know, and, and, and a good you know, 20%, I think it's, it's Hispanic and other, and, you know, you know 20, 30% white. You know, this, this topic and this time is so important just because of the proximity of where the devils, you know, reside and where they operate and where they function. So um, I, I think it's extremely crucial for the organization to be aware of their placement, you know, throughout the community. And, you know, having spent so much time, you know, in the Newark community and in the northern New Jersey area, you know, there's a desire, there's a passion, there's a thirst, there's a hunger, there's you know, a, a, a strong opportunity for your fan base and, and for you to really make an extreme difference, you know, in, in the communities that you serve. You know, I think back, you know, to some of the initiatives that, that I was able to put, you know, my, my fingerprint on. And, you know, it not only started with, you know, the organization understanding the importance internally, you know, but also making sure the community felt welcomed to come into Prudential Center to be a part and to support the organization, to know that, you know, the, the the castle on the hill known as the rock isn't a place that's not welcome for everyone. And I know that required a lot of convincing, a lot of, you know, focus and intentionality around it. And it was through a lot of the programs and initiatives that, um, that predated me, you know, that were a part of my time. And I know that will continue to be a part, you know, of, of the future of the devil. So I'm extremely excited to just see, you know, what, what the future holds, um, you know, with, with the mayor there, you know, with all the community leaders and activists and, and supporters and, and from grassroots organizations to, you know, brother and sister organizations like Prudential and, you know, and PSENG and some of those others who share that same passion for the community. Um, now, now is such an amazing time for this commitment to be, um, to be presented, you know, to be known and for people to start paying attention of, of, of what's, what's, what's to come. There's been a shift in society recently over the last few months with a demand for racial justice. We've seen it in cities all across, and now we're starting to see it in the sports world. As we look at announcements coming out from teams, especially this one from HBSC, which not only works with the Devils, but also with the Philadelphia 76ers and the NBA, how are sports and society becoming even more linked through teams stepping back and really focusing in on these communities? You know, sports is one of those things, sports and entertainment are one of those things that, of course, we all hear, it, 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 it erases any barriers, right? It brings people together. And as much as we um, may not want to give our players that pedestal to, to speak about things other than the game that they're playing or that they're working in, this opportunity is, 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 is what we play for, in my opinion. You know, I think, you know, you have so many kids that look up to these players, of course, for what they do the field or on the ice, but they also, you know, look up to them as role models and as individuals and as leaders in, in their space. You know, I can see it from my son and from my daughter, you know, how they look up to these professional athletes. And, 
You know, it's these you know, important conversations that we're now having in our households. And I, of course, I'm not the only one that's having these conversations with my kids. But, you know, just for the simple fact that my kids are being educated through these professional athletes, you know, for the stance that they're making or the, or the statements that they're making or the actions that they're taking um, is, is extremely powerful. So, you know, I think we, you know, have to be aware of the platform that our players, you know, have. I think we have to make it um, comfortable for them to be able to express themselves. You know, Kim can definitely speak about, you know, how our commissioner has been very vocal in, you know, making sure that when our players, you know, are able to make a statement or speak, you know, from their heart that they will not be, you know, reprimanded or, or, or held in a certain regard for, for what they believe in and what they stand for. And, you know, that's something that's really not very common, you know, in our NHL space, you know, you see it more so in the NBA space where players are a bit more vocal, but we, we were so pleased, you know, over the course of these past few months where, you know, you go from a space where you're players aren't very vocal, you know, via social, you know, or with politically driven, you know, agendas or comments or things of that nature. But, you know, we had well over 200 plus players, you know, show their support, you know, and make statements about the racial and, and social injustices that are happening in our, in our communities. And I think just having them feel comfortable with that, you know, because our commissioner made it comfortable, because Kim, you know, and other executive leaders throughout our entire hockey ecosystem, you know, have said, hey, guys, if this is something that you stand for and you believe, we will support it. And, um, and I think that's the beauty of sports, you know, is it, it can bring people together. You know, it can address tough conversations um, and, and hopefully drive us to a better place, you know, than where we started out. And that's so true. It's developing. We're seeing it in front of our own eyes. Players are kneeling during national anthems to bring attention to police brutality and systemic racism problems in the United States and Canada. We're seeing players post on social media paragraphs about what they've been learning, what they've been reading. It's incredible to see the growth that these players have had. But that doesn't happen overnight. So, Kim, what have you and your team at the NHL really made sure to put into place to allow this development of the player's role, as Jeff has talked about, to happen in real time? Yeah, you know, long before uh, both the health uh, and the racial pandemic occurred, we had started a movement of listening and learning. And, and, and really spending in-depth time with our clubs, understanding where they are in the process of, uh, you know, justice and social impact and the intersection of sport and helping them to understand how this ties to the growth of their business and how it ties to even making their existing relationships stickier uh, and, uh, and, and retaining those relationships. You know, we also started this journey with context that I think was so helpful to the clubs. And that context was we we did a deep study with the Brookings Institute almost two and a half years ago. Dr. Bill Fry and myself co-authored a piece that talked about the shifting demographics and the implications that that would have on the sport of hockey. And I think that report went a long way in getting our clubs and our owners to really understand the business imperative behind demographic shift and how that was going to impact our sport particularly. And so all of that work leading up to the actual uh, health and, and racial pandemic 
was the fodder for, I think, the way this has manifested itself in our sport. And so we now use the hashtag, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a movement, not a moment, because we see this as the beginning of no turning back. This is the way in which our sport is going to operate going forward. And yes, there may be cases where we lose, uh, lose, you know, season ticket holders and sponsors who aren't aligned with our with our vision. But the commissioner has been very clear that we have to stand for something or fall for everything, and that we are not only doing the right thing, which Gary always leads with, but it's also the thing that is going to be the growth imperative for our business. And I think everybody, regardless of whether you lead from the head or the heart, you understand that at the end of the day, the business imperative for, for the sport of hockey. I think something I've observed over the past few years is less of people saying stick to sports or it's only about this because we've seen sports be an agent of change in society for generations. This isn't a new movement with right. speaking up or organizations showing this business commitment. So when you see a team like the New Jersey Devils not only show business that they want to develop, especially support Black entrepreneurs and businesses in their own communities, but you see people not only attacking racial problems in this country through community, but through business and numbers, how much more support to actually driving change does bringing in the business, not just sticking to this is society and this is what needs to change, but showing it's going to change everything. It's going to change every facet of an organization in sports. Yeah. Well, you know, the essence of social impact work is the intersection of doing well and doing good. And so the two are intricately connected. And what makes the difference is leadership. And, and you guys have amazing leadership when you look at Scott O'Neill and what he has stood for and how he has led from the front on all of these issues, when you look at the broader ownership of Harrods Biltzer, I think that none of this happens without strong leadership. It doesn't happen without strong leadership at the, at the club organizational level, and it doesn't happen without strong leadership at the league level. And I think that is a difference maker, and that is going to be the thing that is going to propel us into the future. Leaders, fearless leaders like Scott, like Gary, like so many others, who understand that we may even lose a little, but what we will gain will be exponentially greater over time. And they have the long view. And that's what we have to be thinking about, not today, but what is our sport and what is society going to look like 10, 15 years from now? Because that's what's going to make the difference in the growth of our business. And Catherine, I, and yes. Catherine I, I'd also add to, to Kim's amazing points on this when, when you talk about the importance of leadership. And, you know, although you all have been able to clearly outline action items, you know, one thing that has always been great, you know, with working with Scott and Hugh and Jake and, and, and the entire, you know, executive leadership team is that it's also a culture, right? You know, when you think about change and when you think about driving it, that shift has to happen more from a cultural perspective, you know, than honestly, you know, a tactical perspective. Because you can't get through the tactics. Right. The people that are implementing and executing those tactics aren't built into the culture and the philosophy and are leading from 
a, a, a strong, you know, place. And that's, you know, has always been so inspiring. When I think back to some of those go forward sessions, you know, from, you know, the, the weekly standups that Scott and Hugh host, you know, it's, it's, it's always been, you know, approached where you feel like your leaders are driving this change. So guess what? You better get on this ship or you better get off this ship. <laughs> and, and if you don't do that, then, then, then you know, of course, you, you, you understand, you know, where the direction of the organization is going. So, you know, Kim's, Kim's point as far as, you know, understanding the, the, the importance of leadership in all of this, you know, is, is key. You know, because if you don't have it, then good luck with sustaining it. And as we know that this is, you know, Kim said, it, this, this is a movement. So if you can't sustain it, then guess what? It's not a movement. It's only a moment at, at, at that point. And, exactly. Uh, and that's, that, that's what's beautiful and what we're working for. Well, Jeff, that's the perfect segue into focusing on the internal focus of the HBSC plan as well. Because not only is it working in the community, but it's holding HBSC accountable as well as we've discussed the importance of doing the work as a company or else it falls flat, your efforts fall flat. So part of the plans are a chief and diversity impact officer. They're also strengthening a diversity and inclusion council that Jeff, I believe you were on from the beginning of its formation about a year ago within HBSC. Black employee resource groups available now, those are new to the organization. And there's also internally a focus on recruitment, retention, and development of employees, especially those who aren't white employees of the organization. And one of my favorite parts is a partnership between historically black colleges and universities with HBSC to not only build these bridges and build development pathways for those who are attending HBCUs, but also their ability to break into the sports field. Jeff, when you hear about all these changes and these developments within HBSC, how do you think this will take HBSC's inclusivity to the next level with these new action items? It's easy to define it as representation, right? Representation is key in, in all of our growth. And I think that's, had, that's been one of the hurdles, you know, when, when you talk about it, when you look within organizations across um, the NHL is, you know, we, we can easily point the finger and say why we're not, why the game isn't growing from a, from a DNI perspective as, as, as swiftly as we would like to. And, you know, I, I would say a lot of that, honestly, has to, to, to link back to representation. And when you have, you know, conversations with candidates or when you're recruiting or when you're trying to encourage kids to, to you know, dip their toe into hockey, a lot of kids from minority backgrounds, honestly, just don't feel like there's a natural connection there simply because of representation. And, you know, that's what's most exciting to me when I see all of these actions that are happening is that, you know, you're putting faces in front of positions where people will be able to see and relate to and engage with, you know, um, you know, as, as, as a newcomer to, 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 to the hockey world. You know, whether we're talking about a DNI, you know, individual, you know, of course, their focus will be very, very lasered and specific with understanding what the cultural, you know, aspect looks like. But then when you also talk about, you know, your advisory board. And when you talk about, you know, these ER black ERGs, having this focus, you know, and, and putting people in positions where they can, they can provide input and they can provide, you know, clear direction uh, is one thing. But then I love the fact when you have this, you know, with the third or fourth bullet about, you know, focusing on new recruitment, you know, retention and what career development looks like, and then partnerships with uh, a pipeline 
where you know students of color have this line right into into the business um you know because because i do strongly believe and i think about many times where i've been a you know a part of a host committee you know with job shadow students or interns and as a black man working in hockey and 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 having conversations with students you know from newark right or from you know and then they come in and say, wow, you work in hockey? You know, how did you, they're so curious as to how I got to, you know, working, working in sport. And I will say that, you know, from that start of the conversation to by the time our conversation is over, you know, I would say, yes, their interest is peaked for the simple fact that, you know, I do work in sports and, you know, and I do have an amazing time doing what I do, but they see a connection and they're able to see, you know, that, they can, they can see themselves in, in, in me just for the simple relation that, that we have, you know, through, through how we look and how, what our, what our culture is like. Um, you know, so when I think about, you know, these action items and I think about all, how all of this is coming together, you know, I summarize it in one word and that's representation and, you know, representation on the business side is just as important as representation on the ice, you know, so the more players we can have of color on the ice and highlight those visible minorities, then the more, you know, kids you'll have interested in wanting to get into the sport. The more, you know, visible minorities and, and you know, and women that we have, you know, working in the space, then these new students, you know, and, and new, you know, individuals into the workforce will also see a place for them in, in, in all of this. And that's how the game grows. That's how our businesses become more diverse. You know, that's how, you know, we're able to make that strong commitment back to our community because number one, you're creating that interest and you're creating those opportunities for people to see a future for themselves. And that representation, starting to see it in an NHL club, and we're seeing it a lot with the new Seattle Kraken team as well. They are very diverse in their hiring. Kim, how does that help the league put the pressure on the other teams to make sure that they're also being more inclusive with their hiring practices and building an organization that's diverse? Yeah, you know, I, I, can't, I can't amplify this notion of representation that Jeff uh, speaks to enough. Billie Jean King, the iconic Billie Jean King, who's a dear friend, you know, uses the phrase, if you see it, you believe you can be it. And I don't think there are any truer words. You know, I use myself as an example, uh, two and a half years with the league and the number of young women, particularly women of color, who have come and said to me that they never could imagine themselves in a front office role at the NHL until they saw me. And, you know, I was able to attract I think one of the most brilliant young women as my chief of staff, a Princeton undergrad and a Harvard master's, because she reached out to me on LinkedIn because she saw me and wanted to work for me. And so we, we often think about going to historically black colleges as an example, as we're, we're doing them a favor. But actually, it's, uh, it's, it's exposure to a pipeline of talent that if we don't reflect that ourselves, we'll never want to come work for us, right? It's in, and we're missing a, a pipeline of incredible value-added talent that only comes with us having connections and representations across all the dimensions, whether it's race, ethnicity, or sexual orientation. And so we must be relevant in these markets. You know, I graduated from an HBCU, Spelman College, one of the finest women's colleges in the world. And, you know, 
Spelman graduates, over 81% of their graduates go on to PhD programs. It's, it's graduated more female engineers than any other college in the United States. And so the ability for us to attract that kind of talent is going to help our, our business and our sport grow. And the Kraken, they understand that. I can't tell you the number of conversations that I've had with Todd. Before the pandemic, I was out there three times and, and Todd wanted to know, what have we done that they should emulate? What things that have we done that, we, that they should learn from so that they don't step into those same landmines? He's been an amazing partner. And there's no surprise that over 50% of their management team are women because he was intentional as a leader in ensuring that. So I think the other clubs just have to sort of watch and learn, you know, pay good attention to Javier Gutierrez in Arizona and what he is already demonstrating as the first Hispanic president and what that's going to mean in terms of connection and representation to the Latinx market. So all of these are wonderful case studies for what is to come in our sport if we are open and inclusive. And it's really exciting to stand on the sidelines and watch it. For both of you being involved at the league level and to be so passionate about bringing this sport to be the best that it can be, the most diverse, the most inclusive, what other steps should fans of the sport and others watching hockey expect out of the league coming forward, not only with social justice, but with inclusion and diversity? Let me start by saying that we have to, we have to model the behavior that we seek. And so it starts with our leadership uh, in terms of, of guiding and being a best practice for the clubs. So all the things that we've been talking about for the past 30 minutes are things that we're holding ourselves at the league level accountable to. Representation in the front office. We, for the first time, are doing and investigating and interrogating what our demographics look like and being transparent about where our gaps are relative to ethnic and, and gender hiring. And we will, over time, set targets that will make us be much more accountable around what the front office looks like. That's new for us. We've never participated as a league in the lap check report, which is the demographic study that all of the major leagues participate in. We are now going to be part of that. We're also going to hold ourselves accountable around the suppliers and the, and the partners that we do business with. How, how effective have we been in, in having service providers, investment uh, advisors, lawyers, and, and other partners as part of our portfolio of suppliers? And so this is another area that we are integrating. We are going to make sure that we uh, are creating pipelines for players of color at the elite level. We've been very successful over the past 27 years with Hockey is for Everyone, but we've never evaluated that program to see, did it do what we said it was going to do? And we've just completed a comprehensive study of the past 27 years and what 2.0 of Hockey is for Everyone needs to look like. And so how do we make that more of an affiliation model where we are including all kinds of organizations that are different so that we build this affiliation over time. 
So these are the things that we are not just asking our clubs to do, but we're holding ourselves accountable to as well. Something that doesn't get enough attention was the Black Hockey History exhibit, the mobile exhibit that went around, and also the commitment of the league to celebrate especially Black history in the sport of hockey. Jeff, I know that you, not only during your time with the Devils, were linked with promoting that within the Devils, but how important in the terms of representation is it to show that there have been some incredible parts of the game that are a part of Black hockey history? It's extremely important, you know. If 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 you don't know where you came from, you don't know where you're going. <laughs> Plain and simple, you know. And you know, and a lot of times, you know, as as minorities or as African Americans, you know, don't realize, you know, a lot of times, you know, our place in the sport of hockey, you know. So for us to be able to to look back and do that history um, is is one thing, but then we also have to do an amazing job with creating the content and the access to all of this information that we are discovering and uncovering and, and creating all at the same time, you know, and that was so amazing, you know, when, 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 you know, the NHL was able to bring, you know, the black history mobile, you know, tour to life um, for the simple fact of, you know, when, when you think about hockey, just in, in the general sense, you don't realize that there was a connection to it. You know, you don't realize you know, that there was a colored hockey league that was established in 1895, you know, that was, you know, the, uh, the, the, the product of, you know, runaway slaves, you know, grandsons and, you know, of, of, of escaped slaves, you know, and then when you think about even the impact that the colored hockey league had on how our game is actually played today, you know, there are different elements of our game, you know, from our slap shot to the butterfly save, you know, that a lot of people are saying, actually predates back to the Colored Hockey League. So when you talk about that representation and you talk about that history, you know, it's, it, it, it's enlightening both regardless if you're, if you're Black, if you're white, if you're a non-hockey fan, it's knowledge, you know, and knowledge is power in everything that we, that we do. So, you know, I'm, I, I was extremely excited about that. I'm extremely excited to just think about, you know, how our content moving forward is going to look when we're talking about raising awareness um, around black contributions, as well as Hispanic contributions, as well as, you know, Asian contributions, as well as indigenous and Native American contributions. You know, we have an amazing, you know, opportunity to be able to tell some unique stories uh, that speak to the, to, to the game, you know. And um, of course, now with our new wave of social distancing and virtual engagement and all of that, it's going to take a, you know, a different look to it. But, uh, but as far as how we create content and how we share that content uh, is going to be extremely, extremely important because, like I said, if, if you don't know where, you know, where you came from, you know, you, you don't know where you're going. And that's, you know, if you're a hockey fan, you're a, a non-hockey fan, if you're a traditionalist, if you're new to it, you know, just having that background history is extremely important. You know, and I think, you know, over the past few months, you know, that I've been, you know, just finding my way through, you know, this side of the business now, you know, I've had some amazing conversations with, you know, of course, Willie O'Ree, with Bernie Saunders, with Val James, with Claude Vilgrain, right, who was, you know, the devil's first, uh, you know, player of color, you know, and I was recently able to connect Claude, you know, with Jillian and the team over there, you know, because I believe that, you know, Devil's history, you know, and history throughout all of our clubs, you know, from a from a from a black and, and African history perspective, 
needs to be known, needs to be brought to the forefront. And I'll never forget, you know, three, four years ago when the Devils first hosted their Black History um, Celebration of Black History game. And I remember having that conversation with Hugh, you know, going back to Claude Vilgrain, you know, to, to, to Bryce Salvador, to Kevin Weeks, all the way up to Coach Greer. And the support that, you know, Hugh and the team saw in the, the, the history around, you know, the black history around, around the Devils organization, you know, I could see the light bulb and the excitement just, you know, radiate from them, you know. So it's so, it's so amazing now that, you know, we've been able to connect the dots between Claude and the organization mm-hmm. so that he can now be that representer um, and just work more closely and, and, and continue the, the, the education around, you know, black contribution to the sport. We've covered so much and we've covered about what the organizations, the clubs and what the NHL are doing. But I would be remiss if I didn't end this asking you both how you believe the fans, the people who play hockey, the people who aren't involved necessarily with an NHL club besides being a fan of them, how they can do their part in growing this game and growing a diverse game. So, Kim, I'll start with you. How do you believe that those connected to the game of hockey, whether as fans, coaches, referees, what have you, how can they do their part as well? Our fans are really our most valuable resource. And I, I think that we often underestimate the power of our current fan base to, to be the agents and the ambassadors of the kind of change that we're talking about. I think we have more fans than fewer fans that are interested and understand the imperative of making sure that our sport is as welcoming and as open. And I know this to be true because I hear from them all the time. I hear from them on LinkedIn. I hear from them from all over the country and frankly, all over the world. We have a lot of fans of color who have maybe not felt welcomed in stadiums around North America, but that has not prevented them from being lovers of our sport and our game and hanging in there. And they are so encouraged and enthusiastic about the kind of change that they already see happening. And then we have the fans in waiting who are just excited by the ways in which they see us stepping up, the way our players are stepping up, the courage that we are showing. And they are excited. And those are the fans of the future. Those are the fans that are going to be in. Connecting with us in different ways and may not be the traditional ways of just coming to the stadium. But we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the current fan because the current fan, they are passionate about our sport, but we also know that they're passionate about making sure that our sport is seen as welcoming. And we need to ask them more. We need to ask them to be stronger champions of change and to be our partners. And I think the more we ask, the more they will do it. We need to, to say to them that when they see something in a stadium that they know is not consistent with our values, that they speak up and that they speak out. And I think the more that we ask the fans to be partners in this journey, I think the better our sport is going to be. How about you, Jeff? What do you believe that fans can do? You know, I, I, I think about it in, in three words, right? I think, you know, our fans should continue being aware. You know, I think, you know, understanding, you know, how important educating themselves, you know, about, you know, what, where we're trying to go as a sport, you know, where we're trying to go as an organization, um, you know, being, being aware is, is number one. 
You know, I would say number two is being an ally. You know, allyship is key in everything that we're doing. So, you know, of course, you know, it's one thing to, to, to understand everything, but we need people on the sideline. We need people supporting, being, you know, being, making themselves be vulnerable, you know, during these tough and challenging conversations to make the right decisions, to show support, you know, to be there, you know, for their friends and their, you know, fellow, you know, fans, right? As, as we're all learning and growing through this. So allyship is the second, you know, and then advocacy, right? You have to be an advocate for, for what we're trying to do, right? If you, you know, stand on the sidelines and don't say nothing or don't do anything, you know, then, then of course, we, we, we'll, we'll continue just churning and churning and churning our wheels, you know, in, in, in our sport, in our communities that we live, work and play in to not continue to, to progress and, and grow. So, you know, if, if it were those three things, you know, that I would have to, to, to frame up, you know, which are, which are awareness, you know, allyship and being an advocate of what we're trying to accomplish. Those are the three most important things in, in, in our opinion. You know, and we've been able to build out those models, you know, through various options, you know. So if you go to our site, you know, NHL, you know, and, and check out commit, you know, committing to change. This is actually how we define this. And this is not only just, you know, a rally cry for us internally, but this is more important for all of our fans and followers. of our Right. That's right. Well, as we see the change happen, not only with this announcement from HBSC, but with the league's efforts, players speaking out, there's so much ahead in this fight for social justice. Kim Davis, Jeff Scott, thank you so much for joining us today on this episode of Speak of the Devils. Thank you, Catherine. Enjoyed the conversation. Much appreciated, Catherine. A lot to learn, not only from Kim Davis and Jeff Scott on the impacts of HBSC's announcement, but also the way that the NHL is trying to grow the game and diversify the game. Thank you for tuning in to this special edition of the Speak of the Devils podcast. I'm Catherine Bogart.